Hello everyone, welcome to the Wilton Fitness and Performance Podcast. Now, I actually can't believe that I am saying this, but for someone who just absorbs podcasts on a daily basis and listens to a lot of conversations and takes in a lot of, a lot of inspiration from people via podcasts that I've actually decided to take the plunge and make my own. So, first of all, I just want to say a massive thank you to those of you that are joining me and listening in. And I'm just going to get stuck into it. So, the the episode today is pretty much just going to be about who I am and how did I get to where I am today. And it's just a little bit about my life journey because... Not that I'm anybody, not that I'm anybody special, but I just want to try to create a bit of inspiration for those people that you know feel like they have got more potential to their lives. And yeah, and as we go through this podcast episode, you'll find out a lot about my life up to date. I'm going to start as early as I can, and you're probably going to find out about a lot of things that you didn't already know about me and there's going to be a few things in here that my parents don't already know so yeah i'm looking forward to them listening to this so yeah let's get stuck in so first of all my name is ben wilton and i am the founder and head coach of wilton fitness and performance i'm 30 years old and of course yes i'm i'm a professional health and fitness coach also known as a personal trainer if you prefer and I am from a small town called St. Helens, which is in the northwest of England. Now, I'm currently living in Brisbane, and I've been here for three years, or almost three years now. And I'm currently living with my fiance Casey, her son Leo, and our daughter Delilah, and also our Grudel Daisy. So, the reason, or sorry, the purpose behind this podcast is... Basically, I just want to try to do something a little bit different in comparison to most podcasts. And whereas if you just listen to a podcast from someone who inspires you or someone that you find interesting, you will notice that people tend to interview others who have some sort of professional status. And I want to try and do something a little bit different. And the aim of this podcast is to to try and educate and inspire you, but not through the experts of the field, but also just through normal people who live regular lives on a day-to-day basis, who have had their own experiences through their own health journeys. So yeah, there's I've got plenty of guests lined up or that I've planned to line up anyway. I just need to kind of get around to organizing and confirming a lot of those. But um, basically, the podcast is mainly going to be about health, fitness, general lifestyle, mental health, and anything that's generally interesting coming from people with amazing background stories. So, um, like I say, I'm going to be talking to a lot of a lot of people in the near future. But with this episode today, like I say, I'm just going to be talking about mainly about myself and an introduction to my background and how I got to where I am today. So, I'm going to start as early as I think it is necessary. So, let's I'll start from when I was 13 years old. So, when I first became a teenager, all I wanted to do was or all I wanted to be was a professional DJ. And I got my first set of decks or DJ equipment, let's say, when I was 13, and they were a, 
a second-hand pair of Holmix decks. Now, Holmix, for anyone that's not familiar, they are from a homeware store called Argos, and they are the shittiest piece of DJ equipment that you could probably think of. And for anyone that does know what they are, they will probably be laughing their head off right now, but they were the first pieces of DJ equipment that I got, and they were second-hand from one of my mum's friend's sons. And, yeah, they... Like I say, they were absolutely terrible, but they was what kind of got me into the interest of becoming a superstar or famous DJ, let's say. But used those for a year or so. I think, yeah, it was about, well, maybe a couple of years. And then when I turned 16, you know, just before I turned 16, my dad invested into some Newmark Axis 9s, which was a bir- an early birthday present and at the time they were the best pieces of DJ equipment that you know that I- I'd ever set eyes on and you know I-, I think one of my mates at the time Jay he he had a pair of uh, Axis 4s and yeah my my dad just kind of went above and beyond for me for my birthday and got me a-, a set of Axis 9s and they were absolutely insane at the time anyway and we used to take them down to the youth center well, the local youth centre where me, my mates, and me, my younger brother used to hang around, and we kind of used to like, you know, set up the D- DJ equipment there, and we used to do a lot of MCing. And for anyone that doesn't know what MCing is, I'm sure a lot of people do in the UK, but for any Australians listening, MCing was it's more like very, very fast-paced rapping that you would probably listen to if you were off your head at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, anyway, we we used to do that from well the youth the youth center used to open at like five pm and we used to do that till seven pm pretty much every night of the week when we were like sixteen years old and to be honest it was such a good time to be alive <laughs> and uh, anyway so moving on from there I left school at sixteen and then I went to college doing bricklaying at the local college and I absolutely hated it. It was just kind of something that spur of the moment last minute of deciding because when I was in school, I wasn't I wasn't very clever at school and I also wanted to, at my own will, I just wanted to become the class clown. I just wanted to make everyone laugh and I purposely decided just to kind of not concentrate and yeah, so I didn't really have, I didn't really leave school with many GCSEs. And that left me with limited options. So that was why I kind of ended up choosing bricklaying. And not not to say that bricklaying is a bad job or it's a bad trade to get into because, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of bricklayers out there that enjoy what they do and they earn a lot of money. But for me, it just wasn't the thing that I wanted to do because I only stuck at it for about three months and then I kind of just threw the towel in and I just was like, fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore. So from there, I kind of didn't do anything for I reckon about two months so I was only like how old was I at the time I was I would have been 17 at the time and then I went and spoke to someone who kind of like let's say an educator who would kind of help you to find a career path let's say and I kind of I just said basically have you got any any career path that can help me with music and the first thing that this guy came up with given that I've I've left school with next to no GCSEs. He just said, "There's a place in Liverpool city centre called Creative 
music school and I'm not too sure what it entails but I'm sure that it says here that they can teach you music production and they'll teach you the basics of DJing and so on so forth so the first as soon as he said DJing I just snapped his I snapped his arm off and I just went yeah let's book in let's let's get me sorted on there so and yeah so I went I ended up going up to this place called Creative DJ School which was in uh, it was in Liverpool City Centre I can't remember the exact name of the street it was on but for anyone that does know what Creative DJ School is with well it's not called Creative anymore I'm not too sure what it's called now but I think I think they've had to change the name of it, but basically it was a place in Liverpool where youths used to go and obviously practice DJing, their MCing, music production, and at the time, when I was 16 years old, it was just filled with all of the best MCs and the best DJs within the youth sector of Liverpool, and yeah, it was it, it was such a good time. <laughs> I, uh, I That was when I first kind of got into electronic dance music started listening to people like Dead Mouse, and I started learning to produce my own music which kind of which is where I'm, I'm going to go with the next part of this story so oh sorry uh, before I kind of jump ahead of myself I um, I went to that DJ college uh, for a year and then the, the year as the year came to an end like I, I needed to find something else to do because I think it was only like a one-year course and so I went there and then I left and then I decided that I wanted to go to St. Helens College, which is where I'm from, and to do some music, advanced music recording techniques and got on board with that. I think that was a level three, but started that and I only ended up doing that for about four months because at the time it was just a little bit too advanced for the knowledge that I had because a lot of the people inside the class, they were a lot older than I was. As I wasn't, like I say, I was only 17 or maybe just turned 18 at the time. And yeah, I just, I didn't have enough knowledge to kind of continue on with that course. So I left there and then I went back to this educator again when I was like 17, 18. And I just said, is there any way that you can get me back on at Creative? And, you know, he pulled a few strings and all that. He spoke to a lot of people that he knew. And I was very lucky that I ended up going back to Creative when I was 18 years old. And... You know, there was a lot of different people there this time, but, you know, it was, I learned so much more the second time around when I went because I got chatting to a couple of guys, well, the guys that were, that, that were tutors in there, I learned so much in terms of production from them, and that was kind of what got the ball rolling for me as a music producer. So, yeah, and then I was there for another year, and then when I, t- when I turned 19 years old, Again, that course came to an end because you, you was only allowed to enrol for one year at, at a time. But I kind of didn't know what else I could do because I think I was too old to enrol in another course at, at Creative. And yeah, I just needed to get myself a job. So luckily, at the time when I was 18 years old, there was a job going at Jaguar Land Rover in Liverpool, which kind of... Where well, both my uncles worked there, and you know, when you're an 18 year old kid, it's kind of when when you hear the potential to earn so much money, just like my uncles did, or what I thought my uncles did, it was kind of like, right, I want to do this job because this is going to be a job for life. You know, it's going to be a great job, and I'll be able to retire with a sick pension. And yeah, so that, like I say, so anyway, I 
I was very, very lucky because I think even my uncle pulled a few strings for me to be able to kind of walk through the doors of Jaguar. And I started a job there when I was 19 years old. And, you know, so I was a production line operator and I was there for almost eight years, which I won't go too much into. But basically, it I over the course of the eight years, we worked three different shifts and it absolutely took a toll on my well it it took a part of a toll on on my health and although it was a very very well-paid job it wasn't the dream job because you know a lot of the people that that i worked with they're still there now and you know it's it's one of those jobs that you will probably be financially secure for the rest of your life but for me being so young at the time it just wasn't the dream job and i knew full full well that at such a young age i had more potential to live a life that i could enjoy more so when i first started up at jaguar i also started getting into the gym and basically i started going to the gym when i was 19 years old with two of my mates tom and mike which if they are listening if they do end up listening to this then they will know full well so started going to the gym and we was there pretty much every day for a few months and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing you know just kind of winged it walked in there thinking I was it was like it was chest day every day you know didn't hardly did any back exercises or even any leg work or anything like that and it just got to a point after like two and a half months where I (laughs) I got stupidly impatient and I decided that well, I thought it would be a great idea to take steroids at the time. And being such a young kid, you know, it was it was like, it was one of those things I just thought, you know what, fuck it. Let's just get on these steroids and let's just see what happens because what's the worst that could happen? So, you know, I kind of spoke to a few people who knew people and I got myself hold of these oral tablets called NAP50s. Now, NAP50s are also known as oxymethylone. And they are an oral tablet that will essentially give you the body of a Greek god in such a short space of time. And just while we're on this topic, I'm just going to tell you to tell you a bit about my experience on these nap fifties. So essentially, I was only taking them for about a month and a half, and the you know there's a way. Apparently, according to the guy that I bought them from, he told me that there is a certain way of taking them. So you need to take, for I think it was one tablet on the first day, two tablets on the second day, three tablets on the third day, and then it was kind of reduced down to two, reduced down to one, back up to two, back up to three, and so on. And I had no idea what these tablets were going to do, but because going into the unknown and being an impatient bastard when it comes down to the gym. Basically, when I was going back to the gym with Tom and Mike, they said within within as little as like two weeks, they could see a huge difference in the way that my body looked. And I, obviously I couldn't see it because you tend to, if you know, if you tend to look at yourself pretty much every day in the mirror, whether you go into the gym or not, you know, you don't really see much of a noticeable difference in the way that your body composition looks. But apparently, 
I looked like a bit of a Greek god. And yeah, anyway, but during that time, sorry, so after about three or four weeks, I started to get these pains in my kidneys. And at first, they just started off like very, very minor pains. And it was like, it was like an ache more than anything. But so I left it for a little, I left it for about a few days. And then I got back in touch with this guy who I bought them from and, and I said, I said, listen, mate, I said, you know, I'm having these, re- I'm having these like subtle pains in my kidneys. I said, what do I do? And he said, you need to, you need to drink at least four liters of water every single day. If you want to kind of flush out what's going on in your system, because because you're taking an oral tablet, they have to kind of go through your entire body system. They have to digest, and then obviously they're entering your bloodstream, and they're entering all different parts of your organs. So you need to be drinking an excess amount of water to be able to flush all the shit out of you at the same time. So I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no worries, I'll, I'll do that. So started drinking four litres of water every day. I couldn't, I couldn't stop pissing. I reckon I was going to the toilet every half an hour, and I reckon from there that I reckon I also reckon that I developed a weak bladder because I was drinking that much water on a daily basis. Uh, anyway, got into got into the, the the week following that, and the pain started to get worse. And there was a point where I was working on the production line in Jaguar, where it felt like my kidneys were about to fall out. Like it, it felt like someone was wringing my kidneys out like they would a wet towel. And there was a point one day where I was trying to do the work. And I just remember collapsing down to the ground because I was in that much pain. And yeah, I, ne- I needed to kind of sit out from work. And obviously I didn't want to tell anyone at the time because I was just too embarrassed. And anyway, I think I told one of the lads in work actually, but I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't bear to tell any- anyone else. And from that, dis- from that, from that moment, like, cause I was in that much pain, I, I just had to stop taking them. But the pain continued from from those tablets for probably the next week and a half because obviously they were already in my system and because I was cycling them in a way where I was like I was taking more on one day than less on one day the aftermath of that just left me in excruciating pain so yeah anyway so a week and a half after that the pain started to kind of die down and from that point onwards I um I've never ever ever taken steroids ever again because I don't it's not that I'm sure that there are safe steroids out there whether that you know whether that be through you know whether you're getting them from someone who you can trust or from like a trusted committee or you know you can get them I'm sure you can source them from somewhere in the world where they are pretty much where they can be somewhat safe for you but from that point on there was no way on earth that I was going to take any more steroids so so yeah from that point on I obviously, I still continue to go to the gym, but at that point in my life, I also started to drink excessively because, you know, when you're 19 years old, people are having parties or it was people's 18th birthday party and, you know, it's kind of every single weekend or every other weekend of the year, someone was having a party and, you know, which is perfectly normal, but then also at that same point in my life, I was also introduced to class A drugs and you know it's not something that I'm proud of but at that point in my life I was hanging around with people who just kind of in you know when you're hanging around with people who are also taking class A drugs you're easily influenced into taking them yourself and 
yeah, I won't dive too much into the the, type, the different types of drugs that they were, but essentially from that point onwards, from 19 years old, I used to, I was taking them every single weekend up until, probably up until, well, we'll, we'll dive a little bit further into that in a moment, but I was pretty much taking them every single weekend and drinking every weekend and it was just that point, it was just that that kind of lifestyle that I started living and because I was earning a pretty decent wage at Jaguar, which at the time, I think I was earning £350 a week take home after tax, which for a 19 year old fella at, you know, back in 2011, £350 was a lot of money. So I used to spend, I reckon I honestly used to spend £300 of that on alcohol and drugs every single weekend and then just leave myself 50 quid to to last me until the following week. You know, I never, I never used to save any of my money. You know, there was a lot of people who, who I worked with similar age to me and they were just saving, they were banking and saving the money. But the first thing I did was I used to get paid on a Friday and I used to go and spend it straight away and just go and get, get on the piss and just go and get off my head and, and I, used to, I used to feel absolutely wrecked come Monday and that feeling used to last from Monday all the way through till Thursday and and I guess the reason why I, I, yeah so I used that, that feeling used to last from Monday all the way through till Thursday and then come Friday when you feel fresh again you kind of just go round and do it again it was like a vicious circle so yeah and then and, and the reason why I used to spend that much money was because it was at that point in my life where where all my mates were all similar ages but no one had a job that paid as well as mine so and as and as grateful as as I was for that at the time I used to buy everyone else's drugs for them as well just because I wanted them to continue to to party with me essentially you know so there would be points there'd be points where I'd have been awake for close to 30 hours and I would still want to carry on partying and I would go essentially still go and buy more drugs for not only me but for other people as well because I would want to carry on partying and yeah it was like you know thinking back to it now it kind of gives me shivers because you know it's just one of those things that I'm not proud of it in the slightest but that at that point in my life I was also going to like festivals two three times a year like sort of music festivals that is and I was the first festival that I went to was Creamfields, and I think it was in two thousand and eleven. It would have been two thousand and eleven, I think. And yeah, it was the most surreal experience of my entire life. You know, you get to kind of go and see all of these superstar DJs that inspire you. Like at the time, Swedish House Mafia were on the fucking ball, and. You know, there was kind of like the, the act that everyone wanted to see. You know, seeing people like Afrojack and Pete Tong and Dead Mouse and yeah, I think I even think Hardwell was there. So that they're all like electronic dance music DJs. And at the time, they were like on top of the game. And you know, it was just one of those times in your life where you would go to festivals two or three times a year, party on from Friday all the way through till Monday, and then feel like absolute shit until Thursday. But also. With going to festivals two, three times a year, um, there was also DJ events and other club nights that was on almost every other weekend. And with going to events like that, it 
kind of sparked that I still wanted to be part of the music industry and still want to become a DJ because when I started working at Jaguar, uh, the 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 music side of things kind of just like dropped off because I was working forty hours a week, sometimes more. And yeah, so but going to these DJ events and club nights, it kind of like sparked that I still wanted to become a DJ. So we was uh, me me and a mate Jay. We were we must how old was we? We must have been about twenty three, and we we put some money together. And we bought ourselves a set of Pioneer CDJ 1000s, which at the time, they were the dog's bollocks when it comes down to DJ equipment. You know, they were the ones that were, cl- they were club standard, uh, they were the club standard DJ equipment. And we bought them secondhand off someone, but we were so over the moon when we when we got our hands on these that, you know, we just, it, it was a very, very good time to be alive. But from that, we basically just kind of met up with each other on a weekend we kept we kept the decks at, D, at jay's house and we just ended up going on these decks on a friday through till sunday and yeah it was just yeah and it was it kind of like sparked that we both wanted to kind of do djing together you know we kind of wanted to kind of like make a little duo and just make make a few mixes hopefully send them out to a couple of clubs and pretty much just hope for the best in hoping that people would take us on and have us as their DJs. Even if it was just in a local bar in St. Helens, you know, we would kind of, we would pretty much hope for anything. So, but from there, as we as we kind of got into the, using the CDJ 1000s, we came across a competition on, I don't know whether it was through Facebook. In fact, I think someone just, I think someone just messaged me actually or might have messaged Jay, one of our mates, and just said, look, there's um, there's a there's a DJ competition going for the, these guys called Mode, and they were a, a small kind of events team who ran nights in Ashton, which is like halfway between Wigan and St. Helens, which, for anyone that doesn't know, it's a... it's not, <laughs> it's not a great place to live or to even go out, but... Uh, these guys they run they ran their night from a club called Queens in in Ashton and so there was this competition on and basically they, one of our mates just he messages and just said why don't you enter this competition all you have to do is make a mix and just give it your best shot and then send it through to him via email and then you know you never know so anyway me and Jay made this mix and I'm going to be honest with you the mix was absolutely dog shit and you know we we were shit at mixing um i think we kind of just panicked through anxiety you know that the just overthinking it too much and we, we fucked up mixes and and yeah anyway but we just thought you know what i think we i think we actually tried to record it maybe like five times and at the on on the fifth goal we were just like you know what let's just send this one out and just hope for the best and see what happens so we made this mix and we sent it off and then i reckon within a couple of weeks we heard back from the the team at mode which uh was well they ended up being out we ended up heard back from the team at mode and they basically said you've won the competition and we was like oh fuck no way can't fuck you know and we was buzzing off our tits and you know we was it was just one of those times where we were just like, I can't believe it, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to DJ at a club and and things like that, you know, so 
you know, we got to know these guys from Mode, and, you know, they ended up being our very close friends and things like that. And we're still close friends with a few of them today. Um, and, yeah, we ended up playing our first ever gig in Queens and in Ashton. And our, our set time was from 5 till 6am in the morning, and I'm not messing. I don't think we DJ'd to more than seven people. And But you know what? At that moment, when you're in the present moment, DJing, and you, you know, you're just in the zone, it doesn't matter how many people were in front of you, we was just literally living our best lives, and it, it was such a good time to be alive, even though there was only seven people stood there watching us at five o'clock in the morning, but yeah, things started to progress from there, and we kind of, we kind of moved mode into St. Helens, just to try and attract more of a crowd, and we did that for a few nights, and we alternated between Ashton and St. Helens. And then we ended up booking a few guests on, like people like Pauser and Rich Wakely, and there was a few others. And, you know, things were starting to kind of come together. But the only thing that what, what happened was is that with Ashton and St. Helens only being very, very small towns, it was hard to attract the right crowd because... Mode was an underground tech night, so like, and so anyone that listens to Tech House will know that it's just proper underground music, and people in Ashton and St. Helens never really used to kind of take that on board, or never used to listen to that kind of stuff, so it was hard to try and attract the right crowd, but we were pretty lucky that both me and Jay knew a lot of people in St. Helens, and we, we managed to attract quite a few people. And we also got another one of our mates on board, Rangy, who he joined us at Mode as well. And he knew more people than what we did. So he brought more of his mates down. And yeah, things just started to take off. And yeah, it was such an awesome time. And we ended up progressing and moving into Liverpool City Centre. And we got more of a crowd there. We you know, we ended up play, making bigger bookings, which ended up in bigger crowds. And we booked our good friends truth be told and we ended up booking people like rafa fl and you know i'm just rolling these djs off the tongue here so for anyone that who doesn't know who these are then just ignore me but at the time when we was djing these were some pretty big names and yeah liverpool was a good time to be to be djing and then we we then moved into manchester and we ended up with an opportunity to play at Sankey's in Manchester. Now, for anyone that doesn't know who, what, sorry, for anyone that doesn't know what Sankey's is, Sankey's was one of the most reputable nightclubs in Manchester City Centre, or most reputable underground clubs, let's say. And we was given the opportunity to play in the upstairs area called the Spectrum, and we ended up booking. Uh, DJs such as Della Swing, who was the resident DJ at Elro at the time. So Elro, for anyone that's not familiar, is the, all those crazy parties that they host in Spain in Ibiza, where they have like clowns and confettis and people dressed up in mad costumes and things like that. So we ended up booking Della Swing. We got people like Jackie, and yeah, it was just like at that time, we, it, things were just on top of the world. And like you know, we was I was living. I was living my dream life, let's say, because, like I said, from 13 years old, all I ever wanted to be was a DJ, and then at 25 years old, I was literally living that dream, even though it was like one gig every few months, you know, it wasn't a gig every weekend or anything like that, it was still 
something to be incredibly proud of it, just because it, it was just like the dream the dream for someone for a 13 year old kid anyway but yeah during that time we met some amazing people and like i said we got some we got really close with the guys that that kind of invested in us at mode but because of that lifestyle so because of the lifestyle that came with djing and you know with the partying and the alcohol and the drugs and stuff like that that was also a time when my mental health started to deteriorate which is what i want to dive into now so although i worked at jaguar and like i say it was a very very well-paid job i absolutely hated it and the reason why i hated it was because i just felt like i had more potential in me and it was literally a matter of waking up every single day and dreading going into work because we would literally just be stood on a production line just doing the same thing at the same time every single day and i was just it was like brain dead work and for anyone that does work in uns, in an unskilled job honestly you don't get as much recognition as you as you deserve because the the human the human body is just not made for robotic work and yeah and at that time like my mental health was along like I said alongside with that lifestyle that I was living it was just deteriorating and I knew that I had more potential but like I say with that like I said I was a weekend warrior so it was kind of like Monday to Thursday felt like absolute shit and then Friday to Sunday I was great because it was kind of like it was the time where I kind of got to focus on the music and then was going out and partying and things like that but then when I was twenty, but when I was twenty-two years old, I met a girl, and I met her after a failed attempt of getting into a nightclub in Manchester by getting caught off the sniffer dog, as I had some class A drugs inside my underwear, and although a few of my friends got into the nightclub, I was kicked out straight away. So I was left going back to St Helens. And like I say, I met this girl on that night and I'm sure she won't mind me talking about this if she ever listens to this this podcast, which I highly doubt she will. But we were together for almost three years and for the first time in my life, I felt like I fell in love with someone. And yeah, it was like, especially for the first year of that relationship, I felt like I fell in love with someone for the first ever time. And, you know, even though I was only 22 or 23, or however old I was. But during that time as well, I was also introduced to insecurities and trust issues, insecurity and trust issues from the other side, which, of course, it's, it's totally okay and normal for anyone that does have bad personal and past experiences because, you know, everyone has a different background story and, you know, you, you are entitled to have insecurities and trust issues. But at that time of my life, I it was it was all brand new to me. And, you know, I, I'm the type of guy that it, if I get into a relationship with someone or if I got into a relationship with someone, I would give it my absolutely every at all. You know, I'd give it everything. And the first year of that relationship seemed great you know it was it was like you know it was everything that you wanted a relationship to be and you know the there was just 
there was a there was an experience at, at one point after after a year of being together where the trust issues came into play and I was left feeling like I had done something wrong and I hadn't and it was on Christmas Eve and it completely ruined my Christmas and from that point onwards the the feeling I had wasn't the same for this for this girl and yeah so and but for you know inside my head I tried to be patient and I I used to tell myself that everything's going to be okay and I kind of just stuck with it because I just thought that things were going to get better so we we kind of talked that moment through on Christmas Eve that one year and we got back together after a few days and nothing really seemed to progress that much in terms of the trust and insecurity issues for the following two years and along with that came a lot more of my own mental health struggles because I genuinely felt whilst being in that relationship and living a very unhealthy lifestyle of partying and alcohol and drugs that I was kind of doing the blame game and I I kind of was blaming myself for doing something wrong or I always felt like I was in the wrong and yeah it wasn't the, the way that I used to talk to myself wasn't in any way suitable for any human being to talk to themselves and you know even when I was to get I mean this when I was together with this girl I wasn't exactly innocent on weekends like I've mentioned not that I ever cheated on her or anything like that because I'm not that kind of person but because I still live that partying lifestyle and I was still doing the DJing and, and all that kind of stuff it just didn't make things any easier but um it, yeah I just it just didn't make things make things any easier for myself but and it just got to one point in my life where I, I, I just kind of had enough you know I was I went I went so I I went to the doctors one time after I reckon I reckon we were together for 2 years at the time and I was so depressed that because of the work I was in and because of the drugs and the partying and because of the relationship that I was in I was at an all-time low and you know not a lot of people know this but I was going to work and I was a right miserable bastard and I wouldn't I wouldn't talk to anyone in work and then I would go home and then I would literally say hello to dad we'd have some dinner together and then I'd go and sit in my room and I would literally just sit in my room on Monday to Thursday and then you know obviously still kind of I was still in a relationship at the time but I was just in such a deep dark place in my life I just used to get upset over random things, like stuff that you would never even think about getting upset over. You know, I didn't want to socialise with anyone. And the only way that I would socialise if, if was that if drugs were involved, which I know sounds pretty sad, but it was the literally the only thing that would help me to socialise because, yeah, I just kind of... Monday to Thursday, I just didn't want to know anyone. And, yeah, so... I went to the doctor... 
and I was prescribed some medication to help with my depression and well that was when I was diagnosed with depression and you know I was offered all kinds of help from the doctor he was asking me to go to social circles and to go and speak with other people who also had mental health struggles but I refused to go because at that time I was so embarrassed that I just didn't want to kind of I just didn't want to uh, I just didn't want to go and chat with anyone about what my own struggles were and I just thought I would be able to handle them and deal with them myself which for anyone out there that does struggle with their own mental health I would highly recommend that you do speak to people and you know I would you know it's even speaking to anyone absolutely anyone you know don't do what I did and hold it all in because it just makes your life 10 times worse so yeah and I started taking these these tablets and you know it was like it was a it was a daily thing that I was taking them for like 10 months and the the medication changed over time I was taking different tablets at different strengths and they were making me feel worse and you know I just couldn't really find it was like it was masking the symptoms but it wasn't it wasn't helping me solve the problem and then it got to one point where I felt that shit that I was because of the relationship that I was in and because of the job that I was in that something needed to change and I I ended the relationship with this girl just one night just randomly like because like I say I was in that mindset where I felt like I was doing something wrong all the time and that was it and I just cut the I cut the phone line and I was just I was like right that's it I don't want anything to do with it ever again because you know I was I was feeling that shit and that was it like and um and yeah and then yeah that was it and at that point when I broke up with this girl I decided to myself that I wanted to come off the medication I didn't want to have to take medication because like I say they were masking the symptoms but they weren't solving the problem so I just decided myself that I didn't want to take the medication anymore and it's probably not the right thing to do because you know with any with any antidepressants you're supposed to wean yourself off them and like I say I'm not a GP so I don't know exactly what the right thing to do is but I just decided to throw them in the bin and never want to see them ever again but from that point on that was when my life started to turn around and I kind of yeah it, things just started to kind of get better and the reason why that was is because I just want I just decided that I wanted to focus on myself and no one else so I went on this massive personal health kick trying out loads of different diets and sometimes even going to the gym twice a day and I even stopped drinking for a while but yeah but even though it's oh, I actually forgot to mention at the start of the podcast that I also I was I also smoked as well at the time, and uh, so yeah and I but even though I went on all the tried all these different diets and sometimes going to the gym twice a day stopped drinking for a while I still continued to smoke because it was just kind of I guess I was like you could say I was addicted to smoking but yeah so and then at the time I bought this cookie cutter six day training program from two meathead twins from Bolton which I won't mention the names because they're still, they, they have to run their own business still, but you probably know who they are. 
And although that program got me into very, very good shape, and I would say I was probably sub 10% body fat, I tried to keep it up for as long as I possibly could handle it. And it just got to a point where I was just like, this is not sustainable because I was going into work and I was eating, I was literally eating chicken and broccoli and cottage cheese, I reckon, three times a day, every single day. And yeah, my life was, my meal routine was as boring as it could get. So yeah, so then, like I say, I couldn't sustain it even though I got myself into a ridiculous shape. And then one day, someone just asked me for a bit of advice in the gym on when I was performing my bent over dumbbell bent over rows, which at the time I probably wasn't even giving them the greatest advice because, you know, I wasn't even a certified PT at that time. And from that from that conversation, and after kind of giving someone this advice it kind of just sparked an idea that I just want, I thought, I wonder what it would be like to become a personal trainer, you know, because I kind of, I think at that moment when I give someone advice and they took it on board, it kind of gave me this, it gave me like a little bit of a a serotonin boost where it just made me feel very good for helping someone else out. And yeah, so, but before I kind of decided to kind of do all that kind of stuff, I decided to hire my own PT at a fitness first gym back in St. Helens. And this was just to get a bit of behind the scenes experience of what it would be like to be a personal trainer. But the personal trainer that I decided to invest into, I only worked with him for six or seven weeks because in my opinion, the quality of the service that I was getting wasn't great for the money that I was paying. And I won't mention any names because I'm not a dickhead, but yeah, the service that I, that I was getting wasn't fantastic, but that was when I kind of took the plunge. I kind of took the plunge, and I just said, "I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give this a go. I'm just going to invest in becoming a personal trainer, and we'll just see kind of how it how it pans out from there." So from there. I invested into this PT course and started and completed it within 12 months because I had to study it while I was still working full-time at Jaguar. And then once I'd, once I'd completed the course, you know, I, you know, obviously you learn so much during that time and you learn what's the right and wrong thing to do or what's the safest thing to do, let's say. And while I was working one day on the production line at Jaguar, I just had this massive epiphany were I think I was just daydreaming and I was because I was just daydreaming doing my job and that daydream was literally just to quit my job book a one-way flight to Australia and just give personal training a go even if it's just for 12 months and just to put put myself completely out of my comfort zone because like I say I was not happy in the job that I was doing and the only way that I was going to get happy, that I was going, I was going to become happier, was if I took a huge risk. And yeah, that daydream kind of led to the reality that I'm living now. So after that daydream, I kind of did a lot of research, and you know, I, I did a lot of research about Australia. I looked at places like Perth. I looked at Sydney. I looked at Brisbane. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't kind of decide where I wanted to go. And 
So I've, and I've got a, I've got a couple of mates in Sydney actually, and I, I I touch base with them, and I said, "Can you just what, what's it like in Sydney? You know, give me give me the give me the deets. Like I want I want to know what's going on." And they basically sold me the dream, and I was just like, "Oh, do you know what? Sydney sounds fucking awesome. Like I want to go down there." And like that's it. I'm gonna to go to Sydney. You know, I'm gonna go and I'll, and I'll meet up with my mates, and then I'm gonna go and do this PT for twelve months. And then I asked them what I asked one of my mates one question. I just said, I said, "Is it busy in Sydney?" I said, "You know, I said, what, what's it what's it like? Is it full of is it is it is there a lot of people there?" And what he said was basically, he said, "It's basically like the capacity of London, but in sunshine." And for anyone that knows me, I absolutely hate London because it's the it's just the city where the busiest people are in the world. Like no one gives a fuck about you. And if you fell over and broke your if you fell over and snapped your ankle in London, people would just walk over you. So and that's why because you know people will walk into you all the time and not say not apologize. And I just think I guess it's just a stereotype that I had built inside my own head about people from London. But but yeah, anyway. I um from that point when he told me that he was just like oh it's it's just like London but in sunshine I was just like fuck this I don't want to go to Sydney then so I looked at Brisbane and straight away you know what you you know you do all, all kinds of research and you look at places like the Gold Coast and you look at the sunny coast and things like that and I was like fuck yeah this is for me so I just booked a flight there and then I was just like do you know what fuck it I'm gonna do it. So booked a flight, you know, and then I kind of went down. I went downstairs and I told me dad. And I was just like, dad, I've just booked a flight to Brisbane, and he's like, you what? And I'm like, yeah. I said I'm going. I said I'm, I'm just that's it. Like I'm 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 just gonna go and see what it's like. And then you know, obviously the first thing that enters me dad, me dad's head, and he's like, what about your job? What, what what are you gonna do? Like you know, what what are you gonna do for money? And I'm like, well, I said at the end of the day, and I just kind of said, I was like, look, you only have one life, and I said I'm gonna go and do PT in for twelve months, and. I'm just going to give it a go. I'm going to go and put myself outside my comfort zone. And if it doesn't work, then I'll just get a flight home. And that's it. And yeah. And so anyway, so prior to me touching down in Brisbane, I did a bit of research on different gyms in different suburbs. And I reckon I contacted about seven or eight different gyms via email. And just to see if they would kind of give me a trial as a PT, which... Three of them got back to me saying that, you know, basically just go down, show me face, introduce myself, and, you know, if, if they like who I am, then they'll give me a trial. So, that was pretty much it, really. So, I kind of, like, the day was kind of closely approaching, and I, and I jumped on a flight, and that was it. And, like, I just set off for Brisbane, and I was just, like, I, and I got on this flight, and I was on my way to Dubai, you know, I was on my way to Abu Dhabi. And I was sat on the plane, I was thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I'm just on a plane on my own on the way to Abu Dhabi. I have no life plan whatsoever. I've just bloody, I've just took the plunge and I'm just on my way to the other side of the world with no plan whatsoever. Oh, the only plan that I have is that I've contacted three gyms, uh, I've, I've had contact from three gyms in Brisbane. So anyway, I just, you know, I just started laughing to myself and I was just like, fucking hell. What? Anyway, but then when I got to Brisbane... I just I decided I just wanted a little like four week holiday, and you know I kind of went roaming around all the way all all of Brisbane and through Southbank and I went down to the Gold Coast and I went up to the Sunshine Coast and 
you know, as you do, just typical tourist, and then after like four weeks, you know, spending a lot of money, not giving a fuck, I started running out of money then, and I was like, right, I need to get myself a job now, I need to go and speak to some of these gyms, so the first thing I did was I got, I went down to, um, I went down to a gym called Pumped Fit, which Pumped Fit is now known as Fit360, which is the gym that I still work at. Um, but they were called, like I said, they were called Pump Fit at the time, and I just went down there just to have a chat with the manager there. And you know, obviously, they kind of the they obviously liked who I am and what I was about and all that kind of stuff. So they just decided to give me a trial, and they offered me ten hours. And you know, ten hours is not a lot of work, but for someone who's just come up from across the other side of the pond and just jumping straight into a job, I was just like, "Fuck yeah, I'll take ten hours." So. And I did that, and I worked with them as an employee for eight months. And obviously, over the course of those eight months, my hours increased. And yeah, and then like things just kind of started to. It, it, in terms of in terms of like business and PT, no, sorry, not business. In terms of career and PT, things just started to take off. But what's really funny is that. When I first touched down in Brisbane, I had this mindset where I was just like, you know what, this is a time where I'm just going to focus on myself, like, you know, I couldn't give a fuck about anyone else, like, I'm just going to focus on my career, and I'm just going to do what's best for me, and that's it. And then, when I started working at, at Pumped Fit, or let's, I'll just call them Fit360, actually, so, when I started working at Fit360, I was working there for about... I reckon I was there for about four weeks, probably maybe five at the most. And then I met a girl. And, you know, that girl is now my fiance. And, you know, we kind of just got chatting. Well, she actually slid into my DMs. On, uh, and she's nodding her head at, and she's shaking her head as, as I'm kind of recording this. But she, she, she stalked me on Instagram. And, you know, I kind of just got chatting to her in the gym. And yeah, things just took off from there. And you know, we ended up getting together. We started going on a few dates first, and then we then we ended up getting together. And you know, things just started to take off from there. And it was like, it was kind of like everything just started falling into place. And yeah, and then when it got to September time, you know, I only had four months left of my visa because I was only on a twelve month visa a working visa in Australia, that is, and, you know, I just got myself a girlfriend, and, you know, the only way that I could stay in Australia was if I went and did some farm work, and, you know, and I'm sure that for anyone that has thought about coming to Australia will know that you need to go and do some sort of work in the outback, or in the I wouldn't even know how to. what's the best way to word it, but you have to go and do some work to kind of extend your visa for another year at least. So I had to go away in October of that year uh, after me and Casey only being together for four months, four or five months. And we were separate. I had to go to North Queensland to work on a banana farm. And honestly, it was, it almost reminded me of being back in Jaguar because it was the shittest work that I've ever done. The only difference was, is that I was doing it in 41 degree heat every single day for three months. And during that time, like I say, 
me and Casey were apart from each other for three months, and it was very, very tough. You know, like I said, we were don't, we was only together for we was only together for five months at the time, but being apart from someone who you know you'd kind of pretty much spent every day with from the moment that you'd met met each other in the gym and stuff like that. Yeah, it was just hard to be apart from someone, but you know. I knew full well that if I wanted to kind of stay in Australia, that I had to finish this work. So we, well, sorry, it got to Christmas time, and it got to Christmas time, and we, me and Casey met up just after Christmas up in Cairns, and she got a she got she got a, a flight up to Cairns, and we ended up staying in Cairns for uh, must have might have just been one night, I think it was. And I dis- I I already decided at, at some point earlier on that year that I wanted to go back home and visit family before going back to Australia. And I asked Casey to come with me, and obviously to bring her son Leo with me as well, with with us as well. And yeah, so by the time we'd finished that, um, by the time we'd finished the, oh, I think I'd finished the farm work. Can't get me words out. So. By the time I'd finished the farm work, uh, we literally, well, I literally got a flight back down to Brisbane. We'd already booked and paid for the flights back to the UK, and the three of us just set off. And you know, I can only imagine how Casey was feeling at the time, being meeting my family across the other side of the world after us only being together for eight months or seven months even. But yeah, we went back to the UK, and. We was there for like three and a half weeks, maybe, and you know it was such a nice time to be able to come back to the UK, to meet all my mates again, and to introduce Casey to my mates and to introduce her to my family, and then yeah, like I said, we got got the go ahead for the visa, uh, for the second year visa, and then we just came back to Australia, and you know from there as we landed back in Australia, we. I'm trying to think. So yeah, when we as we got back to Australia, we um, COVID then started to hit, and it was such a weird time to be alive because when we was in the UK, you know, you're watching the news every single day, and you what you know at the time when we were jet lagged, we was waking up in the morning in the UK, and we're watching. China being evacuated and we were just like what the fuck is going on here but then we were just like oh nothing nothing will happen from this you know nothing will happen you know think, thinking like oh it's, everything's going to be safe and sound but then obviously COVID-19 happened and as we got back to Brisbane the whole country went into lockdown and then you know at the time I was still an employee for Fit360 and still continued to do so for probably the next four or five months, even though the the whole country was in lockdown, and I was doing PTs from home, and I was doing PT online and things like that, and then we were pretty lucky in Australia because we never ended up being in lockdown for as long as most of the other world were. So from that moment on, when it got to August or September time, that was when I decided that. I basically wanted to take the next step in my career and I wanted to try and run my own personal training business and you know after having a chat with the guys at Fit360 and all that kind of stuff and we 
sorted a few things out. They allowed me to run my own PT business from the gym. And yeah, from there, you know, things have just started to get better and better. Not only from a personal perspective, but also from a business perspective. Because, you know, in that time, I'm now engaged to Casey. And we are looking at getting married in May this year. And we now have our own daughter, Delilah, who is, at the time of recording this, she is eight and a half months old. And, you know, life could not be any better for us both. And, you know, like I said, business-wise, this is probably the busiest that I've ever been in terms of in terms of running my own business and just as a PT. And it's so overwhelming because I'm not someone that likes to blow my own trumpet or anything like that because... I do believe that good things happen to those people that work hard for them. And also good things happen to good people as well. And and I, and I just think from a personal from a personal development perspective since running my own business at the time, sorry, when I first started running my own business, at the time I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know what to do with taxes or finances or I didn't know anything to do with time management or any, or how to market myself. I didn't know how to, I didn't know what sales was or anything like that. You know, I was, I was dog shit basically. But obviously over the course of that time since being, or since running my own business, I've become obsessed with learning and reading about all things like nutrition and how different foods work within the body as unique individuals. I've become obsessed with human psychology, the metabolism and how the body functions on a day-to-day basis. I've become obsessed with how to be a better conversationalist, i.e. the re- that is the reason why I've decided to start a podcast. I've become obsessed with how to be a better listener, how to become a better speaker, and overall, just to become a better businessman. And I think most importantly, like I mentioned earlier, I think one of the best things that I've managed to learn is that I've just become a better human being overall because this helps translate into becoming a top quality coach as well. And becoming a good a good, a good human being has, has definitely stemmed from having Casey as my fiancé because... I've learned so much from her and I am super, super grateful because, you know, she has the patience of a saint for someone who has a very, very short temper and for someone who has previously spoken negatively to himself. So, yeah, I'm very, very grateful for that. And, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at today. You know, it's kind of like, like I say, I'm super busy with work and I'm super grateful to be where I am. And I've been in Australia now for just under three years and I'm kind of taking the business to the next level you know I've got all these big plans for where I want to get to and you know and I think the future vision that I've got for myself and for the business is you know I guess as most PTs do I just want to become the go-to PT in the local area Um, I want to have a successful online group coaching business that not only focuses on training but also helps people to learn and understand the psychology of nutrition as well. And, you know, 
many years ago, well, let's say many, I say three years ago when I kind of first got the certifications, I'd written down a five-year plan as to what I wanted to, to do as a PT. And in year five, I said that I wanted to open my own studio, which, you know, we're in year three now, so I've still got two years left. And, you know, we've already kind of spoke about things like this. So, you know, another couple of years away yet, but that's kind of plans that I have to kind of go ahead with in a couple of years time. And hopefully from that, I'll be able to employ a couple of members of staff. And of course, you know, now that I've come to the end, that I'm coming to the end of this podcast, the one thing I want to do is I want to continue with this podcast and I want to be able to help not only educate people, but I also want to inspire people for I want to inspire people to be able to do something that they want to do you know like I'm I've I've been I would say lucky but I've also managed to create my own luck through just taking taking a risk and just doing something that I want to do and you know if, if you are someone that is kind of realizing that you have got more potential to your life or you know and you're stuck in a job that you don't want to do then no matter what happens, like you know, if you take a risk to do something that you want to do, no matter what happens, everything is going to be all right, and you're going to find something to do. And with COVID finally disappearing after two and a bit long years, you know, now is the time to start looking at innovating and investing in yourself because you know we're in 2022 now, and you know, if if, if someone like me who walked away from school with no GCSEs and, you know, got into got into partying and took class A drugs for seven seven or so years and smoked up until he was like twenty six. You know, if I can do that and and have this daydream one day where I just wanted to piss off to the other side of the world, then I'm sure anyone can do it. You know, I'm no one spectacular, I'm no one special. I never thought that I have, but I just want to be able to say that if you do want to, you know, if, 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 if you are someone that wants to kind of do something different, then just fucking do it because, you know, you only have one life. And I think that's about it from me today. So and I just want to say a massive thank you for tuning into the first episode of the Wilton Fitness and Performance podcast. I am, um, like I said, I have big plans for the podcast. I, I want to make sure that I get some guests on the show that are not only experts in their field, but I want to get, I want to bring some people in who have just had experiences, whether that be through their own health or their own life journey. And because I don't think, I think general people or the general population don't get enough credit for some of the things that they do or some of the stories that they have or some of the experiences, the experiences that they've had. So yeah, that's the plan for the podcast anyway. So thank you very much for joining me today. And, you know, if you really enjoyed listening to the podcast, then, you know, I would I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share it onto your social media feeds or just share it with a friend. And, you know, I would also love to hear your feedback as well, because if, if you know, the feedback that you give me is so important because it helps me improve on the way that I talk and the way that I communicate to you. And, you know, you never know if you have an idea of someone who you would like to hear on the podcast, then please just let me know. But for now, thank you very much. And I will speak to you on the next episode.